This episode of Hummel and Fred is brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. Peter Cetera is the musician best known for being the lead vocalist and bassist for Chicago. He held that post from 1967 until his departure in 1985. That's when he launched a successful solo career. Fun fact, Peter Cetera is also a huge Humble and Fred fan. Is that better? Yeah. All right, people, enjoy. Listening to us talk last Friday. America as we do each and every day, bringing joy to the people, spreading the word, Humble and Fred Radio, uh, in our studios, it's, uh, well, it's mind-blowing is what it is. Uh, last week we had uh, the former mayor of Toronto, then we get Mansbridge, I mean, that would be enough for most people for a year, but now... The triumvirate of special editions continues. Please welcome to our studio uh, a voice that really needs no introduction. It's Peter Cetera. Oh, please, please, please sit down. Sit down. Come on now. Look at you. You're a very uh, fit. It's intimidating. Well, I try to be. You keep yourself in shape? Yeah, I mean, I try to be. I think I've learned my lesson years ago. Burn my yeah, burn no your kidding. bridges. You know you gotta. My God, I'm still living. No, no, really. You Especially when you're a singer. Yeah, you come around that corner. I gotta look at you. It's almost looking at you like 30 years oh, ago. Really? You. And what's of course telling? 40 you, years ago. Well, what's, what's interesting <laughs> for me is as soon as as soon as Peter sat down sat down and got comfortable, he's like, "So this is what you guys look like." <laughs> We're like, "Sorry." Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I listen to the show so doggone much, and you know, you you always kind of wonder what. You know what the people look like, and uh, here you are. No pants no. on and everything. No, no exactly. Great. <laughs> right. okay. we'll, we'll, we'll let you pose with Fred's Campbell soup like that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, if we may start there, because really we're so uh, self-absorbed and uh, self-conscious. A few months ago, someone sent us a note, and we weren't sure if it was a joke or not. And they said, hey, uh, you know, remember the guy is lead singer of Chicago, Peter Cetera? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, listens to the show, and uh, and wants to come on the show. We're like, come on. That is, is it a real Peter Cetera or is it a guy who is like a Peter Cetera impersonator? Yeah. So how did you discover well, the magic? <laughs> well, you know, this is very strange. I, I, I do a lot of driving, cross-country driving. I have a, a daughter that I moved down to Boulder, Colorado from Nashville, my, my youngest daughter. So I would drive to Nashville and I would drive to Boulder and then I moved into Seattle and I would drive to Seattle. And somewhere in that midst of nowhere, I started flicking my dials, and I came across this ridiculous show, <laughs> and I thought it was just a one of a kind, and that, and but uh, kept it on my uh, 
on my radio thing, and I just got hooked. <laughs> I think it's a great show, and I think you guys are just hilarious. And, I mean, you know, it's Canadian comedy, which is just the best. Yeah. Okay, so, continue on that theme about how great we are well, and uh, hilarious. You know, you had your hey, you know, you had your heyday. We all did. You know, you had your... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your heyday was just a little bit, bit more hay than our yeah. day, that's for sure. But, I mean, you're back. I mean, it's just like... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a hilarious. So, so now, I mean, uh, you know, if I'm in Boulder or if I'm up in Idaho, boom, you guys are on the radio. You say it's Canadian comedy. We hear that from a lot of Americans that like Canadian comedy. Yeah. What is that to you? Well, you know, I was thinking about that this morning because you you name the great comedians in my in my life mm -hmm. in my mind and i mean i go back to you know sctv and you know i mm -hmm. still have the super 8 things that i videotaped you know john candy and and i was thinking oh, why is it canadian and i i wonder if there's a connection between england and and canada english comedy which i love and I think it somehow has that same... Well, I think it's rooted in that. And, and I think a lot of Americans, uh, a lot of people listening, you know, I, we've, we've had these conversations with people where you go, uh, did you know that this guy was Canadian or that guy? But there's a Canadian comedy sensibility. I mean, you, you know about it because you're a fan of it, but a lot of Americans don't even realize how much American comedy has been informed by a Canadian, and I'm talking about Lauren Michaels. Oh, yeah. The whole Saturday Night Live phenomenon uh, and that sensibility. And Lauren was a fan of... You know, uh, older Canadian comedy shows. In fact, he had a, a comedy show in the early 70s. And it's interesting that a lot of American comedy, the Mike Myers, the Jim Carrey's, and on and on and on, they don't even know it comes from us. Yeah. But people that are fans of it yep. can feel it and hear it. Yeah, no, and, and, well, I, and, and I appreciate it. I mean, I just, uh, and, and your show to me was just, I couldn't believe what you could say on your show. That was, <laughs> and that was kind of refreshing, you know? And it's not just language. I mean, we have a different style. A lot of American listeners of ours often say that, that, you know, yes, we were radio morning guys that did, you know, kind of alternative rock radio, but we just do it in a different way. We, we always had done it in a different mm -hmm. way versus the, you know, guys that want to come in here and, you know, hey, yeah. Pete, can you do this contest where we're going to have you yeah. uh, take a picture of whatever. And sometimes to our detriment. Yeah. As far as, you know, the well, way it's supposed to go or by the book. So I, I was kind of hoping I'd see some strippers in here this oh, morning. Well, I come in here and there's nothing. Oh yeah, pregnant stripper. That's <laughs> well, if you had to come in here, you know, we, we, if we'd have known, we would have gotten Emily Muse in here and some of the Muse girls. Well, we appreciate you saying that, and 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 both Fred and I were kind of wondering if we should. We actually had this conversation because we like to be honest. We had this conversation this morning, thinking about you coming in, and is it true that Peter was a fan of the show? And and we almost were going to do this. He said, well, maybe we should say to Peter, even if it's not true, will you say it is? And I said, no. I said, no. I'd rather actually say, is it true you're a fan of the show? And if he says no, then give you shit for that. Uh, but I wanted to hear your uh, your, no, your mean, reaction. Listen, I know about Etobicoke. I know about your golf game. I, you know, I know all Do you know about stuff. Lady Friend? The demise well, of the lady friend relationship. Is that the the girl you took in the park? No, that was a oh, different, 
another one. Another one already. I told you I listened. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, he, the chick I was making. You took a girl in the I, in the middle of the day. Sick. I'm an old man. Yeah. No, I was uh, with a for a long time on the show. It was uh, a theme of the show. I was with oh. a, a younger woman. Oh. Has, has that ever happened to you, Peter? You bet. Nothing uh, wrong with that. No, and we were together except for a, when something goes wrong. Yeah, it's, it's, it's oh. been horrible. And I've been uh, anyway. Peter Cetera is here. Well, so. when Peter sat down, as he was sitting down, he threw about three or four different show references out, and I felt so relieved. I thought, no, my I know. God, he does listen to the show. Wait till we get him to ask Phil about you know his uh, particular. Oh, do, you, yeah. do you know about Phil's skill? I know. Okay. Well, we'll mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll, well I may. Anyways, you know, P- Peter Cetera is here, and, and now that we feel f- uh, somehow um, validated, mm-hmm. that's how I feel. Yeah. Uh, you you meant a lot to us. And we're not just bullshitting, but you meant a lot to a lot of people in in this continent around the world. And I often wonder sometimes with someone like you, who's whose band and solo career are responsible for so many watershed moments in people's lives. Now I know you didn't sing the song "Color My World," but you were in the band at the time. Yeah. Does, does that? Do you ever have a chance to, to reflect on that, or do people talk to you about that, or feedback to you like, "Wow, man, I remember." You know, well, we were talking about. That's right. Back you know in the early seventies when uh, you'd be at a dance and how many boners were pressed against a girl? Well, yes. that song was on now, at a time. Many, no, you know I what hope. I mean. Different no. guys, but it's true. But does that, I mean, mm-hmm. we joke about it. It's true. Like, I remember, I guess I was a couple grades behind Fred, but I remember when yeah. that song would come on at the end of the dance, that was the, my opportunity to rub wiener, my wiener on some chick. <laughs> and, okay, but seriously, well, that aside, is it, it, does it, do you ever reflect on that? You rubbing your wiener or? <laughs> or <laughs> I know. I know I do. No, I don't reflect on that. I'm sorry. Yes, no. Uh, And that particular song, no, that's not one of my favorite songs. Is it? Does it annoy you when I'm playing it here? Hell yeah. Okay. That's terrible. No. No, um, why, why does that annoy? Why is it not one of your favorite songs? Oh, it's just not one of my favorites. I, if you want to know a rotten secret about that song. Yeah, tell me. Oh, God, it's rotten. Uh, Jimmy Panko wrote the song and he gave it to me. He said, hey, could you sing the song? And I hated it. And I said, what's too low for me? Which it was. Yeah. I said, give it to Bobby. Bobby would love to do it. So he gave it to Bobby. And Bobby said, no, nah, I, I just can't do it. It's really not in my bag. Give it to Terry. <laughs> and Terry went, fuck you. I'm not singing that. Get out. Yeah. And so the only, the only way that we could record that song was to get ter- Terry totally drunk one night in the studio. And he laid on the couch. And we hung a mic right over his head, totally looped, and sang. There you go. Now you can hear it, right? See? Fuck you, bitches. I'm singing it anyway. You may not like it, but it, was, yeah. it became a huge Well, here's song. the thing. Here's the thing. And I, and, I, and I say this on my shows, you know. There, there was a time when I... When, you know, after Chicago and I broke up and then I went on my solo thing for a while and I, 
you know, I had a couple. You're multi-million selling solo. Well, thing. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I had a couple of number one hits, but I didn't have support from a record company that wanted to keep me back with Chicago, so they didn't support mm-hmm. it. So I was probably the only one that had two number one songs off a of, off their first solo album and didn't get any support. Uh, and I believe, uh, Phil, were you saying there was one of the or somebody said this morning one of those songs uh, was nominated? Well, Glory of Love. Glory of Love. It was an Academy Award. Yeah, yeah. Karate and, Kid too. Yeah, right. See, that was my generation of yeah. growing up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was, yeah. and, and it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, um, here's a little bit of it for you people that need some context. But when you've been so closely associated with such a big band, this is a great song. It's hard to kind of ex- extricate yourself from the connection that people have because it's the thing that binds you to their memory. Well, it's funny because just recently I threatened to sue ASCAP because they listed Glory of Love as a Chicago song. Mm. And I, said, I don't think so. Yeah, I went, hello. ASCAP, by the way, is the organization uh, that pays artists for radio play. So I think through the years, when you when I, I sort of got out of the business, let's just say, I sort of lost interest. I thought, hey, you know, there's no room for me. There's just no room for me. Everything was happening so quick. And so I kind of bowed out and went to live up in the mountains and catch them and uh, got fat and, and drank a lot and, you know. Sounds like a dream. Yeah, it was a big dream. Big, <laughs> really, big, you got big fa- dream. you got fat. Yeah, and, and then uh, you had Brian Wilson fat or just normal fat. <laughs> <laughs> a little more than yeah, no, not quite Brian Wilson fat. Right. But um, strangely enough, David Foster is the one that got me back on stage. He was doing a uh, a benefit in Chicago for the Ronald McDonald House. And asked me, hey, would you would you want to come sing a few songs? I got a great band, and nah, 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 nah. Come on, come on, come on. So he talked me into doing it. We we worked up about a ten minute medley of the things that we had we had uh, done together. Because Foster started uh, producing mm-hmm. some Chicago. Well, yeah, he yeah. produced sixteen and seventeen. Actually, I was it was Foster and I that produced those, and 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 um, so I came up, did my little bit, and uh, through that. PBS asked me if I would do a, a series of um, symphony shows. So I did a symphony show with PBS and then got back into uh, doing symphony shows. And then I put, a, you know, electric band together. And I think you just start, I just started realizing how many people would come up to me and say, can I just tell you something, man? That song meant so much, you know, or that song. We got married. We got buried. I mean, all that. And you start realizing, all right, you know, there is room for me out there. And, I, and I'm proud of those songs, and I still do them on stage. Peter, I'll tell you, like, when I started high school in 1970, 25 or 6 to 4, yeah. to me, I mean, we all have songs of our life. That's one of mine. Because there was just so much I loved about that song, the energy and the fact, you know, and it was sort of... You know, the horns, everything about it was just amazing. And, you know, the cafeteria at the high school I went to, just not far from here, it was like you put a quarter in there or whatever it was at the time. Every other every other song was 25 or 64. It was yeah, amazing. which which kind of was amazing to me that uh, for some reason we haven't been nominated in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just just for if for nothing else for that song. You know, mm-hmm. Well, if, uh, you, if you can, if you think about, you know, when Chicago formed, uh, just how... It was a, it was a sort of a shift in the way that rock pop music was presented, yeah. and, I, and I think I, I want again I don't want to go back to the, the your your history of where you grew up, but but 
the idea of a big horn section and complicated uh, arrangements and those kind of things, it really did, it really was a, a big paradigm shift in how we, uh, a pop ballad or whatever could be presented. Was it a conscious thing? I, I, I know a little bit of the history that you saw this group of guys playing. You went, hey, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> but that, that's a big, a big chance to take when you think about the bands in the late 60s, the Who and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. These are some of your contemporaries. Well, yeah, the Beatles, they started to bring horns into it. with yeah. And I think, yeah. actually, that's mm-hmm. a couple of the songs that kind of went, hey, you know what? This is going to work. It can work, yeah. When we started doing Got to Get, Got to Get You Into My Life, stuff like that, contemporary songs that had horns in them. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like, hey, God, this is fun. This you is know, fun. And and this this may work, you know. But so you guys, I, I have a bunch of questions about how the mechanics of Chicago mm-hmm. worked. But you talk about when you went through the roster of guys that sang. Um, at, at, how many people in the band at any one time? Seven. Seven people. We had, there was a, a main seven, and then we added a percussion uh, years later for... And how many of those guys were singers? Three. Were you a Bobby, singer? Okay. Bobby, Terry, and myself. And were you a sing? Were you... Did you play an instrument and sing? Yeah, I was a bass player. And when you had seven guys in the band, did everybody get the same money, those seven guys? Because well, that's, that's splitting it along. That's where I was going. Yeah, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was kind Look of one of smile. the... You know, <laughs> because that's why I would have always had a, like, just a duet. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we worked. That's kind of one of the problems. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just say that that was a big sticking point. I bet. In the end. Because yeah. did... Well, and did you... When you wrote a song, like... If you leave me now, Saturday in the Park, all these wonderful songs, big hits on the radio. Uh, was it credited to Chicago? No, no, it was, it was recorded. And I mean, I didn't start writing for a while. And I mean, I thought I couldn't write. I thought all good songs had been written, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after I heard the Beatles, I was sure that all the great songs in the world were written. Sure. And so I really couldn't write. And then when I found out what some of the guys that were writing were making. While I was just making my piddly one, one little seventh of our live performances, so yeah, it was kind of a, it was always and and that in the end is what t- takes a group into the world of uh, problems. Sure, is right there. Hey, well, I was in the room when you you, you know I said that word that I you, you put in that song. Right. I wow, helped you with really? the bridge. Yeah. Oh yeah, it goes. Yeah. Well, it's like that story, uh, the the documentary we've been talking about about. Um, the, the Eagles, when the Hell Freezes Over uh, tour was being put mm-hmm. together, one of them was saying, listen, uh, we'll do this, but we're going to, me and Henley and Fry are going to make more money than everyone else because th- we wrote these songs. Yeah. And you, it becomes a bit of a territorial thing. Yeah. And, uh, and can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Is that Was that something that started to contribute to you thinking, I don't want to do this with these guys anymore? I, you know, I think that was one of the, one of the problems. I think, I think the problem is just like like a marriage, you know. I just, oh my God! Mm-hmm. If I got to be married to her any more than I have to be, and you just just start things just start piling up, and and uh, it just turns into a big pain in the ass, you know. And when does money not? Because I would think you might feel that way, but you think, look at the money that's at stake yeah. here. Do you get to the point where money doesn't matter anymore because you've made so much, or this is so no. awful? I don't care about the money. 
or accommodation. Yeah, neither one. Actually, yeah. I, I, I haven't gotten to that point where I make so much. I kind of yeah. care about it. But I mean, there, there was a point in the group where I was driving uh, a Volkswagen, uh, a red 67 Volkswagen convertible. And the the major songwriters were driving around in Rolls Royces. And, mm. and I'm going, yeah. Well, so you took to songwriting. You said that you didn't think you could write songs. And, and you know, I've asked this of other musicians about, you know, that process where you write something and you think, wow, that's pretty good. Mm. Uh, I wonder if it sounds like some other song. But in the meantime, you know, you guys, your very first, like the big, big worldwide number one is If You Leave Me Now. And you wrote that. Yeah, If You Leave Me Now, I wrote, I, I had a, a little house on the on the water in Malibu on Carbon Beach one night. And uh, I started two songs that night. One was If You Leave Me Now and one was Wishing You Were Here. Which is a great song. That, that we later wrote, uh, that I later wrote. And, uh, and then this song, uh, okay, if you want a slow one on the album. You know, it got that kind of response from the rest of the group. So so you're sitting around one night, and wow. w- what uh, was the inspiration for this? I'm always curious about that. Like, And did it all come quickly? Or was it one of the things you've been thinking about uh, over time and think, oh, maybe these words would fit together nicely? Well, well, I mean, this is the truth. I mean, I was with somebody, and I thought, oh, my God, if... She ever leaves me, you know. So it's kind of a true, a true thing. And she was sleeping on the couch, and I was sitting on the other end of the couch, messing. And did you write it on guitar? Or yeah, piano? you did write it on guitar. Playing a few chords. Yeah, I knew on the guitar, and I came up with this. And uh, you know, it's, it was interesting because it went, it went to number one, and then we. Um, we were going to go do a tour of Europe, and we got on the plane and landed in Heathrow Airport and uh, got in those lovely black limos they used to have over there. I don't know if they still have them, but... And the guy turns on the top of the pops and uh, the number one song in England and all the continent, and bam, it's If You Leave Me Now. Wow. And so we had a number one song around the world, and it's, it was pretty heady stuff. And this know. is after you thought all the songs have been written. Been written. It's been written, yeah. and you couldn't do it. Yeah. And yeah. listen to this. Yeah. So back to the idea of jealousy, and as you say, you know, when you've got a lot of guys in the, in the group who might have contributed a phrase or a song or something... So you were messing around on the guitar and created this song. When you bring it to the band, where does it get sticky? Because obviously there's some arrangement there. There's some uh, violin, obviously the, the horn parts. Somebody has to contribute that. Is it a group thing, or was that you saying? Or, or did you go, guys? This is how I, I, I hear this. Yeah, I mean that song was basically done when I went to the studio. We had a guy come in and do a string arrangement. He doesn't get anything. Okay, he just write a string arrangement. Horns were kind of the same thing at that point, you know. So. Um, we, we didn't have a, a lot of problems about guys jumping in on songs. Uh, there was there was a couple of instances where, hey, wait a minute, I worked so hard on that song and you're not, you know, so it gets into that stuff and that's the ugly stuff that breaks everything down. It's always the politics, isn't it? It's the politics, it's the ego, and it's and the, the money. And the personalities. And then it turns into the personalities and then it all goes to hell. <laughs> yeah. um, I often wonder, because you've been a, a, the, the, the lead singer of uh, that band and you've been singing on your own uh, and then you, you talked about you know you, you're in great shape um is it difficult more difficult when you're the singer to, to take care of that instrument and to be kind to it because you you know your your style is pretty high you sing it at a high register yeah i uh 
throughout, throughout the years, I've sort of learned to back off a little bit. Um, you know, we all did that stuff back then, you know, the drunken, you know, drugs and the drinking. And that's, you know, actually part of the thing that broke up the group was that, that ongoing uh, drinking and drugs and just carrying on. And um, Did your best work come through drugs? No. No? No, I would say. What about yeah, sexually? Uh, did some of yes. that, did some of your best sexual <laughs> escapades? My best sexual escapades, yes, I would say come through uh, that. But um, Well, you talk about a time, you know, the, the late 60s and through the 70s, this was one of the biggest bands in the planet, on the planet. You're traveling around planes and hotels, and, you know, you hear, again, your contemporaries in those days, the Led Zeppelins and all these bands. And it was a different time for the world of rock and roll. Yes, it was. And, and again, as a guy now that you, you've matured, you've got children, you're a, a, a grown-up, do you look back on that 25- to 35-year-old Peter Cetaran thing? Jesus, I don't, what was all that? Was it pretty heady? Was it amazing? Yeah, I mean, I, I look, you know... I have a 18-year-old daughter named Sano who's who's getting into uh, uh, aerial acrobatics, and 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 she is focused, focused. I mean, she gets up, goes to the gym every day, goes to the, her classes. She's amazing. If I had one quarter of the fortitude and the perseverance and the drive that she had, who knows where I could? I was just lucky to have a gig. Is yeah. is, the, is what I thought. I mean, you know, we came out of Chicago, and I was like. Jeez, I hope nobody knows what I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was. We we were just guys from Chicago that sort of moved out there and started recording and kind of got taken advantage of like everybody else. Yeah, but the next thing you know, you're standing in front of uh, thousands of people every night that are in love with your music and the and the group and everything's being offered to you. Yeah, and- yeah it was. It, uh, it's pretty heady stuff. I, You know, I... I, did, I personally didn't get mixed up in a lot of it. Uh, I was usually married, and, and that sort of kept me out of the... Uh, but, yeah, it was out there. You know, it, it, there was this rumor for years that Chicago was, oh, you know, they're, they're such good boys, a bunch of goody-two-shoes. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll put us with any band in the world out there. We did as much... As far as degradation goes. As far as de- <laughs> yeah, as far as degradation and, and drugs. And we just didn't get caught. See, that's mm-hmm. the secret. And when you're young and you become a band, you become successful, you really have no reference point, right? So you just sort of no. evolve that way. So, again, as Howard says, it's probably not until you get later in life and you look back and go, wow, I'm still living. And yeah. you, know, you know, and you know what else? Nobody ever told me no. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Managers, accountants, agents, nobody ever said, hey, uh, do you ever think about backing off a little? Never. never. Well, listen, never. I can only imagine being in a band like Chicago, the kind of groupie action. I mean, look at the, if you got one-tenth the groupies that Phil does, like, it's <laughs> insane, this fella. He's knee-deep in it. <laughs> as far as the Canadian, I was always a fan of Lighthouse. Do you yeah, sure. aware of the mm-hmm. band Lighthouse? Yeah, sure. Similar. Mm-hmm. Did you ever meet any of those guys? Like, yeah, I think, we, I think we worked a couple of festivals years ago, somewhere along the line. There was there was a lot of, you know, a lot of festivals back then going on. Mm, Toronto Pop Festival and, uh, you know, but I don't know where it was at. But we In did. your history with this city? Well, we worked the uh, Toronto, uh, Lennon Toronto Pop Festival. Yeah. We were there. Um, Exhibition Stadium. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of history here. As 
for a, for a guy that grew up being a fan of the Beatles, uh, and then subsequently getting into a band that in the seventies and you know for a time was one of the biggest bands in the world. Was it? Did you get into it because you loved music, or you got into it because you know for a lot of kids, being a rock star was something you you thought was a cool idea. Like, was it? Were you a musician first that loved the you know loved the idea of it, or was it like you're just some kid that thought, man, I could get some chicks? Never thought about the chicks. I I wanted to sing. I yeah. Mean, you know, I wanted to be a singer, and I thought that was, you know, even when I was very young, I wanted to buy a guitar. And being a Polish boy from the south mm-hmm. side of Chicago, my parents no. So uh, I think you're looking at the last. Polish boy from the south side of Chicago that played the accordion. Mm-hmm. That was my claim to fame. Can you never work that into a song? No. no. <laughs> there was never a session where you're going, hey, this Saturday hey, in the park. I got a good idea That's for right. you. Saturday in the park listen would be to this. if we put some accordion in. Hey, listen, there's some, there's some, you know, fabulous accordion players out there that don't want to be known. I mean, what's his name? Weird Al Yankovic. Walter Ostinick, a Canadian that's won the most, the most Grammys won by a Canadian, I believe, that's still, right. is is the polka king Walter Osnick? Did you Just play Caitlyn Jenner? Did you Caitlin play Saturday Jenner? in the yeah. Park uh, on your boombox when you were doing the girl there in the park? <laughs> was it a Saturday? Recently? It was Pete? July. Here, yeah, baby. on your boombox. Here, baby, let me uh, squeeze this. It's a right Tuesday. Now. If I make a weird noise, what Pete was referring to? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we were at Trudy Bellwoods on a blanket. Shake at the bellows. Something. <laughs> Stan was running around, and I said, hey, this will get you in the mood. Yes, yes. yes. I love this song. And, and that's, it's, it's that, that horn coming in kind of uh-huh. subtly. It's just so cool. It is so cool, and it's... Do you still sing this in concert? Well, no, because I didn't sing it. Oh, this oh you wrote it. Who's this no, I didn't, no, this is, this is Bobby. That was is it Bobby. Bobby? Bobby, Bobby Lennon. That's still a good it. song. I don't care. Uh, however, yeah. what I've done in some concerts, uh, my younger brother, Kenny, does a Chicago Experience review. He's got a seven-piece band because he actually toured with us. And I said, you should go out and do your own thing. And every once in a while on a gig, I'll, I'll bring some horn players and bring him out there to do some of Bobby's songs. Well, okay, that, that song aside, there's the songs that you did sing that if we were more thoroughly researched, I would have a front of That's okay. Uh, when are you, do you mind that, do you sing them in concert? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the inspiration. Yeah, Hard it, to say I'm sorry. If you leave me now. If you leave me now, stay, it, the, it, stay the night. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. is it a thrill, like when as soon as you hit the beginning chords of if you leave me now, and, and you and you and you feel that swell of it's, emotion. It's, it's from the, the crowd. It's got to be great. That's the best. I, you know, for years I kind of didn't know how to act, and now I sort of embrace it. Um, you know, I mean, we, I've taken my band. We we go over to the Far East, Manila, and, and Singapore, and Japan, and. You know, you, you play those songs, and you wouldn't think, I don't think. I mean, how do they know me? You yeah. know what I mean? And they sing louder than, you know, I don't even have to sing right. most of the time. Mexico, same thing. I go to Mexico, and they love Pedrito. <laughs> they just, hey, Peter. Hey, Pedrito, you, you sing you No, they sing right What about the other Great guys friends. now? What, what are they up to? And if you've used the entire Chicago library or parts of it when you're, is there any problem with that? Way? Well, here's what I do, and here's what I tell people. I do the songs that I had the pleasure of writing, mm-hmm. recording, singing, 
performing both with Chicago mm-hmm. and my solo career. Now, really, the only ones that I don't that I do that I didn't write are I do uh, Bobby's Twenty Five Percent to Four because that's kind of a you know penultimate song. I yeah, do yeah. that one, and yeah, and that's you. But right. I don't do the ones that I didn't sing. You know, it's just the way it is. You know. And I still have a lot. We're going to be. I have a show here coming up. Yeah, I want to mention. Where's when, Peter Cetera's show? Is uh, you have like, to, have to yeah, look on my hour. website, petercetera.com, But it's coming up pretty soon. And um, do you, and and do you, how many days a year now that you're back into performing? And, and how how often will you put yourself out there? And is it still as fun as ever? Well, I just signed with a new agency, so I'm working a lot this year just to see what it's like again to work this much and you know it's just like everything else the traveling right is the part that takes the cojones i mean right out of here you know but once you hit the stage it's fun you know but it's traveling um one of our good friends chris churchill is uh, he's a, a wine importer and really great at it but for a long time he made his living as a as a reviewer and a musicologist type of guy and he just uh, reminded me that there's a, a chicago tribute band called Brass Transit. Are you aware of them? No. Um, apparently, they're, they're I imagine, very. Good. I imagine there's a few of them. Yeah. Does yeah. That, well, my brother's in one. Does that piss, does that bother you guys, or is that a, is that flattering, or is that a compliment? I don't even think about it personally. Is it? If you say brass, then I have nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I'm. You know, that's the kind of thing about the horns. You know, it's like uh, either you were aware of the horns; they were very important, or you were aware of the vocals. You know, and so you know you have the, those two factions. Were, were, were Chicago songs? And again, I'm a, I'm a music fan in that I, I find it interesting how things are put together. Are, are Chicago songs? Were they difficult to? Did they translate live? Because in those days there weren't a whole lot of studio, you know, bullshit going on. You guys were playing it live on the floor. Was it? Did it transfer well to the stage? Yeah, I would say so because we didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, experimenting with overdubbing we, and we're you know we overdubbed everybody overdubbed sure you know but we didn't do a lot of things like like the Beatles got to a point where they were doing so many weird overdubs they could never yeah, create take, yeah they, they could could never create it you know yeah, they couldn't take it to the yeah. stage yeah but your stuff it, it translated well and it's interesting when you listen to music now and I want to get to this what, mm-hmm. you know all these years later you, know, you you've you've sort of crossed all these generations of music what stuff do you like do you hear stuff now on the radio or on serious coffee house or whatever that you like do you mean anybody yeah yeah you know here here's my thing i if you ask me to name my favorite groups i i couldn't tell you yeah yeah but a song if i hear a great song to me that's a great that's a great song i don't think there's a lot of great albums around anymore i think there's a lot of great songs mm-hmm. and that's where things are going now you know one or two songs and uh, well, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of the it's the way music's marketed now yeah. and and available. It's Again, when you put your own play- playlist together, you just want your favorite songs. Exactly, and that, no, that becomes anymore. Yeah, and that becomes your album. What a, what about the Foo Fighters? That uh, as far as some fun, people, fun. Have you seen Sound City? No, the movie. No. Oh, no. Gosh, you've got to see this. 
Sound City, the Foo, uh, what's his name, Dave? Uh, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl buys. I saw the movie. Oh, you ha- he buys the old board at Sound City, and you've got to see Is that a movie, or isn't that part of his series that he's done? No, no, it's no separate. It's, it's, okay. Yeah, it's a separate thing. Um, And, and you know, uh, can I ask you, yeah. like, when you were, again, in the 70s, one of the biggest bands in the world, uh, did you have, were you friends with some of your contemporaries? Did you get to know the guys in Steely Dan or in Led Zeppelin or? You know, there were certain groups that we knew, but I, I got to be honest, when you played, especially in these rock festivals where there was mega, mega groups, you never really had a, 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 a time to sit in because you came and you were over there in that trailer. Right. And then they were on stage and then get ready. Hey, hey, how you doing? And then you're, you know what I mean? It was like there wasn't a lot of hang time. There wasn't a lot of hang time. I would think, what, what was it, the the video, whatever it was at the time, All You Need Is Love, when oh, yeah. with Jaggers on the set. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. And uh, that has always made my mind run wild about, you know, when you get so many famous and talented people in the same room. It was amazing. One yeah. Of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the great nights that, that there was only <laughs> some of the people that were there still tell me about it, but... Chicago did a, a a tour with the Beach Boys, and mm-hmm. it was at the time when we were real hot and they weren't, you know. And we had the same manager, so we uh, Summer of Love. I don't remember what the tour was, and it culminated at uh, Angel Stadium in Southern California on a Sunday afternoon. Typical LA beautiful day. So. The Beach Boys would go on, they'd do their set and just blow us out of the water, and then we'd come on, do our set, and then we'd get back together and do, you know, I would sing a Beach Boy song, Carl Wilson would sing a Chicago song. Well, it just so happened that Ringo Starr was backstage, and so I said, would you... Why don't you come up with us? You know, so okay, so we get we do the thing, we do we do the thing, and hey, hey, special guest star, Ringo Starr, and the crowd went nuts. He came on stage, and we did got to get you into my life. Wow! With Ringo Starr playing tambourine, wow! One of the highlights of my life. I still get goosebumps. Well, yeah, because you're looking over it's, there. It, it's Ringo. It's Pete, Ringo. Come on, yeah. man. You know, one of the best concerts I ever went to was here in Toronto. Was face to face Elton John and uh, Billy Joel. Oh, just you get all the piano Recently, yeah. singing each other's songs, uh-huh. and it was. So cool. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how current you are on the show, but uh, last weekend I watched this movie with John Cusack called Love and Mercy, and it was the story of Brian Wilson. And, and I, I, that my, my crass reference to the guy aside, it was a story of the creation of Pet Sounds. And as a guy that was in the, has been in a radio guy for a while, I don't think I appreciated until I went back and started looking at the sessions and how, what a genius Brian Wilson was and how great that album was and what kind of effect it had on everybody else after yeah, including the Beatles it's pretty amazing I we got I got to know Carl Wilson and I were we were real real close we were going to start a band Carl Wilson myself and Ricky Fatar drummer and so I got a little insight into the the realness of what was going on and it's pretty scary stuff what actually happened oh and in terms of his personal life exactly but the music, you just, I don't know where that came from, you know. I, I mean, when they, when when the stuff he's doing is affecting the Beatles yeah. to where they're trying to change their stuff, then you know, you know. 
Well, I just there's a scene in the movie, and it's it's the guy that plays the young Brian Wilson because Cusack plays him later when he's all caught up with the psychiatrist. But there's this couple of scenes where Brian Wilson is trying to communicate to these hot studio session musicians in L.A. and he's you know throwing in all these things, and 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 even they are looking at him like, wow, this guy's talking about stuff that you know is way out of uh, off the normal rock grid. And, and and that album, when you go back and listen to it now, it's 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 bizarre. You think of all the things we take for granted, the the layering of sound. Yeah, and, it was, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and using different instruments in a rock sort of genre. And by the way, that band that they used, I mean, those guys were just, you know, Carol K. I mean, just all those people. Yeah, they Glenn used. Campbell included. Yep. Some of those guys. They were just the best. Um, coming from the 70s into the 80s, where video became important, how did that affect you, the band, well, your image? Strangely enough, videos is one of the things that help help push the demise of the group ahead even more because at that point I started writing a lot of the music and of course what they did was they started featuring ah, you the lead become, singer you the main guy you're going to mm-hmm. be the star the star of the video so not only was I singing the song and writing the song but now I'm the star and I get that and I just piss people off. why does he always have to be the star and the guy because you're like, ugly because yes. <laughs> he's the cutest he's cute and you're ugly <laughs> number one number two he's singing the song right. yeah. quiet in the set it's ugly just, people you know, yeah, just focus on the drummer for the whole video when, yeah. I, when I hear those stories it just blows me away because you think you have this machine and you think they wouldn't get that petty it got real petty. like it's bizarre to yeah. me because you think you'd look at the big picture like wow this is our job this is our future this is everything no and because gets, of that yeah. it, it breaks gets down petty. well as you described it it's, it's like it's a, a, a marriage it's like a, a relationship yeah. it's a corporation it's like any other culture in a company well I, you know somebody asked me would you would you ever consider getting back with chicago and i would say well would you ever consider getting back with your ex-wife and then they would it, say uh, ask me that question well, how much money am I getting? Exactly. How much money is it going to make me? <laughs> and then they would say, well, would you ever record with them? And then I would say, well, would you ever have sex with your ex-wife? I mean, that's kind of to me, you know, a lot of groups do it. And, and they probably okay. do it for money. Well, that's the only reason they do it. Because if you notice how many groups do that, how many groups last beyond that tour? Yeah. They don't. So, and and I, I mean, I'm just not... So what is the Chicago that's sort of touring now? They were at Casino Rama not long ago. Uh, there's, let's see, Bobby, one, two, I think there's four guys left. Bobby, mm-hmm. Bobby, well, what do they do when it comes to a Peter Cetera song? Yeah. Do they still do it? I think they do. They have Jason, their 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 uh, bass player. You know, I mean, I you know, I still have people go to a Chicago concert and say, "Where's hey? How come you weren't there?" And I, you know, which is funny, right? Because yeah. Yeah. I've been out of the group longer than I was in the group now. So mm-hmm. um, I just wonder if this is a you know a good time. Like we've, we're having a great conversation. It's Peter Cetera. Uh, as you know, he's a singer, songwriter, a musician. Chicago, his solo career. Humble and Fred listener. Most yes. yes. Big time, big, big time. Let's focus on how big a Humble and Fred fan he is. Uh-oh. And let's pause for a 45-minute rock ride with Peter Cetera coming at you. Peter Cetera, 45 minutes. Okay, so um, that was fun. That was lovely. Uh, Thank you. I'm just going to say, you know, it's, it's pretty cool for us that... Uh, you know, in our little enterprise the last four years, ever since, you know, we, in a way, we were 
in, a, in this corporation. We were a, we've been a group together, Freddie and I, for 26 years. And you know, if things had kind of gone along the way they were, you know, they were kind of going in a direction, we'd be morning guys at some terrestrial station, making a lot more money than this. But I'll tell you what, you would have come on our show. We would have had about five or six minutes to talk to you, and then we would have said, "Don't forget, Peter Cetera is appearing tonight," and then we you'd walk out the door. But for us, the the fun of this project has been the fact that we can just hang out with you as long as we want. I love it. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and that's what I've kind of noticed about your show. I, I, I noticed you have guys coming on singing, and I often thought, how in the hell can those young people sing at 7.30 in the morning? Yeah, mm-hmm. they do pretty good in here. I can't do it. My face doesn't wake up until like <laughs> 2 in the afternoon. Well, very often they're like, oh, I don't know, we'll see how it yeah. goes. Yeah. Well, it sounds good, though. It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 no, no, and but that's what we like about it, because if radio can do anything now, yeah. Even this form of radio, it's introduced new acts and new bands to people. Perfect. Because I mean, the regular radio, and it seems all they want to play is the old shit, right? Yeah. I, and, I don't, and I don't, you know, that's funny. I don't listen to old shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't. Do we. You know, I don't listen. To, you know, mm-hmm. What do you listen on the radio? You listen to, you know, no, I don't. I don't listen to oldies but goodies or 70s music. No, I mean, well, I, I'll flick it. past it. You know, yeah. I'll flick it. past it. Yeah, but and I'm, you know where it, is, where it is if you want it. Exactly. Right? You don't need the, the yeah. radio. For it. Well, let's yeah. say you're no. somewhere, yeah. you're out getting, uh, you're at Trader Joe's and in the, you're buying some groceries or something, and you happen to hear through the sound system an old song from the Chicago days, and it's you singing. Does it does it, it does it pass you by sort of uh, mentally, or do, every once in a while do you sort of go, I, I remember the day we recorded that all the time. Oh yeah, all the time. I, I you know my my two daughters, one is thirty one now and one is eighteen, and when they were growing up in the market, you know, we're strolling in the market, and here comes one of them. That's my dad, you know. They would yell, and I, you know, or you know, at the dentist's office, you hear it, you know, or in the elevator. Or, Gynecologist, I don't care. I'm proud of it. You know. Why do you go to a gynecologist? Yeah, well, some friends talk? of mine. Oh, yeah, friends of mine. Do you have a gun? Yeah. 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 Something you want to talk about? Yeah, relaxing. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And and I always ask this question to people that have a lot of famous songs because, as you just mentioned, sometimes when you're in concert with the Far East or around the world, the, the audience is singing the words. Mm-hmm. You basically just have to start the song. Have you been mid satara tune and gone? Ah, you shit! I have no idea where we're going here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll even say it on stage. I'll just, you know, I'll stop and I'll go, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to stop here and tell you what just happened. <laughs> I, forgot, right. I forgot. The course to a song I was at. And they, the, yeah, of course. That's great. Oh, so yeah, what, you what are your shows like now? My shows are, like I said, they're, mm-hmm. they're a bunch of songs that I sing and, uh, you know, wrote and recorded both number one hits with Chicago and myself. And, do you uh, find because of your history, do you talk to the audience a lot? Oh, I talk a yeah. lot now. Yeah. And because, you know, I, I, I found out that they like to hear the stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, absolutely. And, you know, they, they want to hear why and what. And, and it just makes it, you know, more, more personal. You know, to me... The fun I have now is not just about doing the songs, but it's about talking to the people. Because one of the things about Chicago through the years, it was like, you better not say that. You know, oh, shut up. You know. What well, you mean the band would say? We don't, because you're the front man. Uh, uh, kind of the front nobody, man. Nobody, you know, nobody could talk because then the rest, why did you say that? But, you know. So now I get a chance to do that. I've, uh, yeah. And well, the story fun. you told about Color uh, Your World at the be- uh, Color My World at the yeah. beginning of the show yeah. was 
riveting. People love yeah. that stuff. Yeah. For those moments, I love that. And the, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the, the duets. You know, people want to hear what it's like working with Cher. Sure. Or what it's like working with, with Madonna, you know. And, and what was it like working with Cher? Does she smell good? I get the feeling she does. I never got close enough to her. Okay, mm-hmm. Madonna. Get a whiff of her. Fabulous. Good. She, you know, she was the one. If you were to say, who do you think was more fun, Cher or Madonna? Madonna by a hundred, hundredfold. She was professional. She was on time. She laughed. She smiled. Came by herself. It was great. Super juicy. Uh, yeah. Especially back in those days. Yeah, The man. juicy years. Yeah. Um, what about, I'm, I'm going to just finish off here with, because uh, you're a guy that's traveled around the world. You're from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Americans never get out of their state. And uh, not only are you an aware person because you've traveled the world, but you're also, you have a Canadian affection and affinity for us. I love white bread and hot. <laughs> and hockey. Now, hockey. Come on. Are you a Blackhawks fan? Of course. Uh, I got to tell you, the, the little town I grew up in in Moose Jaw, there, our little junior team affiliate was an affiliate of the Hawks. Uh, and I've told Fred one of the coolest things was they used to get the hand-me-down jerseys. And so we were the, the Moose Jaw uh, Hawks or whatever their team was, and they had Blackhawks uh-huh. jerseys. I always loved that. But but as a perspective on America, like you're, you have a unique perspective that – not that all Americans are dumb, but a very... But you know what I mean? It's like, are you sometimes shocked at how sort of parochial and how American-centric, the, you know, you've been it's around very, the world. You know that there's great things going on in other well, countries. Well, I mean, for years, uh, you know, the joke was, oh my God, where do you get to Canada? You know, they're, they're, you, 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 you closed down, you can't get liquor. I, I can remember when we, used to, yeah. when we used to come yeah. up here, the only thing we'd get was rye for some stupid well, reason. Drink. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the only thing. It's made from beavers. And, and But now I, I think I've learned to appreciate Canada and I like it. I mean, I like that you black out certain TV and certain music and you only have your stuff. And and I think you're, it's proven to be right what you're doing, you know. Oh, you mean uh, CanCon, Canadian yeah. content. Yes, yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, economic-wise, I mean, I think, you know, before it was like, they'll never, they don't give money to anybody. But I think you've proven, you know, the banks are a little more solvent than we are down there. Yeah, we didn't have that mortgage crisis, yeah, the big exactly. meltdown. And I just appreciate Canada. Well, we appreciate Well, you. appreciate what we're going through as Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Not having I won know. the Stanley Cup yeah. since '67, you experienced a drought. Now you're hogging all the cups. No kidding. Yeah, stop trying to Cubs. <laughs> hey, the Cubs in Toronto. Come on, in the World, in the World Series. series. What yeah. do you think? Absolutely, we'd love it. Uh, all we can say is you're a great person. Thank you, man. You're, uh, Thank you, guys. You, we like you because you like us. That's all it takes. That's all that matters, right? It's, uh, yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. What little bitches we are now because you I said love you it. liked our show. Yep. No, it's you're great. lovely and talented. Thank you Whatever. so much. Yes. Mostly you. loves us. All that other stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> Peter's a freaking. Thank you. Oh, please, what please, please. What's the matter with you people? No autographs. Please. How no dare autographs. you? Thanks for doing this. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you all. Bye. Tell me that wasn't cool. That was cool. We had Peter Cetera in here. We're now best friends with him. And, uh, yeah. You know, and we're so. I don't know what's the we word. We are. We're, I know we are. We're thinking about how much money he's worth. So I wish we'd have done this beforehand. But we found out how much to, he's worth. Yeah. Went to celebrity net worth, and there's a wide range there. Uh, but let's just put it this way: he's stinking rich. Yeah, man. And compared to us, 
Yeah, man. <laughs> but you, what was that one thing you said? Well, there's a yeah. magazine called People with Money. Of course, there's a good reason we've never heard of that. Uh, oh, we got to take a break here. We can't. We can't continue this. Okay, tens of millions. Two hundred and forty-five million. He uh, took the number one, number one spot in 2015 on People with Money. What the mm-hmm. hell? <clears throat> that happens me- much too often. What's anyway, that? The speaker falls off the couch when Phil gets up. <laughs> the, he, he had the top ten highest paid singers for 2015 with an estimated $82 million in combined earnings. And when he was here, he was all like, yeah, I'm doing okay. You're doing okay? You know, maybe he didn't tell us how well he was doing because he knew we would try and get money from him. Maybe no, I know. I mean, we're talking about, you know, not wanting to play with Chicago anymore. Is it because no. you have enough money or because you don't can't be bothered? He said, well, not neither, really. <laughs> that would have been much nicer to him. Here's a little update for you. Peter Cetera now considers himself retired. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran, and don't forget to keep the show going by licking them, uh, liking them, liking them, like, and subscribe. <laughs>